chapter 6. If not, you're going to be in big trouble right now. No, I'm just joking. I know some of you here probably didn't, man. You might, maybe you don't even go to a church where you normally have to bring your Bible. And uh, so this is a, one of those churches, though, where uh, we realize that man's word is just man's word and God's word is God's word. And today especially, uh, we're going to see it in our red letter words, uh, the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ are the ones that speak these words to us. And it's an incredible study. Um, we're going to see, first of all, kind of like our fellowship with each other. Uh, we're going to see, secondly, our leadership. And then we're going to close today in a lesson on discipleship. But first, uh, the fellowship with each other. In verse 37, Jesus says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now again, Jesus is speaking, it's the Sermon on the Mount, uh, incredible Christian manifesto, biblical behavior, how he wants us to live life. Uh, he's been speaking about loving your enemies, some incredible things that he's calling us to do. And now he tells us a few things, judge not, condemn not, make sure you forgive other people. It's kind of a lesson in forgiving and then, and then giving. Because uh, he says what's then going to happen is that you, the way you treat people is the way that God will treat you. Uh, Adrian Rogers, he compares it to a boomerang. Any of you guys ever thrown a boomerang? Just out of curiosity. I've never thrown a boomerang. If you have one, please bring it in, man. <laughs> I don't know why. It just sounds like, how does that work? And I know there's a scientific explanation on it, but you know, you throw it that way, and how in the world does it just kind of come and then come back at you? It, it's amazing, you know? But I know it works, and I've heard it. And that's kind of the way it is in the spiritual realm as well. The way you treat people, uh, in one sense, is the way that they'll treat you. There's a part uh, truth to that. We read that back in Luke 6, verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. And so they call that the golden rule. There's an element to that, man. It, you know, you're, you're mean to your kids. One day they're going to be mean to you. Maybe, man, <laughs> when you get old. And, and I don't know. I'm just joking. That shouldn't be that way. Uh, all I'm saying is this. There's a partial truth to that. But the primary lesson is the way that we treat people is the way that God will treat us. And that right there is a really heavy lesson, you know. Um, Jesus taught this and illustrated it back in Matthew. If you want to turn there to Matthew chapter 6. And notice what we read here in Matthew 6 verse 12, something I'm sure most of you are very familiar with. You might even know it by heart. It says in Matthew 6, verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verse 14, it gets heavy. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> you know what? Let's just say you sin against me. Okay, you do something wrong, man. You hurt my dog Chip or something. You know, that gets me mad, right? Uh, and let's just say I don't forgive you. What happens? It's probably not a big deal. I mean, I would never want to sever any of my relationships with any of you. But you know what? That's just me not forgiving you. 
But if God doesn't forgive you, if God doesn't forgive you, you're in big trouble. And that's what the Lord says right here, man. Judge not that you won't be judged. Condemn not that you won't be condemned. He says, forgive others so that you can be forgiven. And that's really the lesson. It's a lesson in forgiving. It's really important for us to have this. As a matter of fact, later on in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord illustrates it. If you would, go over to Matthew chapter 18. And look what we read here in verse 21. It says, And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, that's kind of funny. I mean, in those days, the rabbis thought that that was the, the way it worked. You know, seven strikes and you're out. You know, and so he thought he was being biblical. He thought he was being, you know, right on, even a little generous. And if you think about it for a second, okay, you guys think about it for a, a second, Christians, okay? You know, they do, they do it once and you're like, okay, I forgive you. And they do it twice and you might say, okay, I forgive you. And they do it three times a lot of times, you know, we're like, well, that's it. You know, you're not repentant. I, I don't forgive you. Um, and, and then here Peter goes seven times, and he thinks he's being really generous, right? But notice what the Lord says right here. He says in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so what Peter does is he brings out his calculator and he starts, okay, how many is that? Okay, I've been, I've been living with my wife for this long now. She's done this many things to me, okay? And I'm almost done. I'm almost there, you know? No, that's not what he's saying, right? We know what it means. It's like he say, he's basically saying, forgive other people the way that I forgive you. And I would probably say that that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, how many days have you been alive? Break out the calculator. How many days have you been alive? How many times a day have you sinned? Just out of curiosity. And God has forgiven you. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Now, I'm not saying you restore people to positions of authority, you know, right away. I'm not saying that you're responsible in areas of, you know, restoration. Sometimes it is, you know. We've got to give everything to God. But what I am saying is that if you don't forgive them, if you still hold against them, if you still think that they're like a second-class Christian citizen, you are in big trouble. Big trouble. Because the way that you deal with others in your heart is the way that God will deal with you. And you might even say on the outside, well, I'm sure they're fine, and oh yeah, you're cool. But in your heart, you look at them differently. God sees that. He sees that. And so, you know, he gives an illustration here. He says in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. I mean, think about it. Let's just say you owe you you know, $10 billion, and you kind of made this agreement with God. You said, okay, God, you know what, I'll do good, and if I mess up, I'll tell you what, you know, you can take me and my wife, my kids, I'm sure I'll make payments, man, you know, no problem. But, you know, things happen and you blow it. You, you break the contract. You violate the contract. And so you stand before the king 
And he says, well, this is the terms of our agreement. You've neglected your contract. You've broken it. You've violated it. Therefore, you will be sold. Your wife will be sold. Your children will be sold. Because that was our agreement. That is justice. Right? And so what ends up happening, man? You're like, wow, my wife, my kids, me, my children, everybody suffers. And so he does what all of us, I think, have done if we're Christians. It says in verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And so what happens? The master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. You see, that is Christianity, you guys. We're not talking about some economic agreement. We're talking about a spiritual reality. This is Christianity. Uh, We had no hope. We were lost. Justice would have uh, judged us instantaneously, but we cast ourselves down at the mercies of God, and we said, God, please forgive me. God, have mercy on me. And God did. He sent his son, Jesus. He died for our sins. And now we're forgiven. We're free, right? Okay, so that's cool. But, But look what happens next. It says in verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, so he owed God, you know, or the king, $10 billion, and this guy owes him a hundred bucks. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat, and he said, Pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. See, God dealt with him this way, and then, you know, when it happened to him, he dealt with people differently. He dealt with them defiantly, right? And so it it would eventually get to the king. It says in verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? I mean, come on, you guys, it makes sense. That's what the Lord's saying. Shouldn't you be that way? I'm so gracious to you, right? I mean, are you guys in the same, you know, life Isn't God so gracious to you? He really is, right? Anyways, um, his master was angry, it says in verse 34, and delivered him to the torturers. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespass. You know, back in Luke, the Lord is just saying, listen, The way that you deal with people is the way that I'll deal with you. I want you to know this. This is not just some random teaching. This is the sermon from the Savior, the sermon on the mount or the plain. I mean, this is from the lips of the Lord. And he's just telling you the way that life works. And he's saying, listen, judge not that you won't be judged. Condemn not that you won't be condemned. And those are sentences. He's saying, forgive people and your Father will forgive you. You see, it's the way of the boomerang. Don't forget that. The boomerang. We should all go get one. Just, man, and throw it every once in a while to learn the way that it works, huh? I mean, some of you here today, man, maybe you're going through discipline. 
because you haven't forgiven. It's incredible. You know, what the way that it works is, you know, kind of like Haman and Mordecai. Do you guys remember their story in the Old Testament? There's a story in the book of Esther of Haman and Mordecai. Haman was a guy that was really stuck on himself. Just like we can all be tempted to be stuck on ourselves. You know, I know you guys are wonderful people, but it's a temptation for all of us. You're like, hey, Manny, didn't you know the world revolves around me? You know, um, Haman's problem was uh, everybody would bow down to him except for Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And sometimes we have that problem, too. We're like, man, why doesn't that person bow down to me? Man, do they know who I am? You know, (laughs) why don't they respect me the way that they should? You know, and man, whatever you do, be so careful with that hang up of Haman. Man, it's an ugly thing. People don't have to bow down to us. But anyways, he didn't like him. He really had a problem with him. And so you guys remember the story? What ended up happening was he built a, a gallow 75 feet high, okay? That's two telephone poles high. And he said, I'm going to hang him on it. I'm going to hang that guy, right? Mordecai. But you guys remember what happened? The Lord intervened, Esther, the king, things got... And what ended up happening in the end? Do you remember? Haman got hung on his own gallows. Be careful, Jesus said it this way, the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Remember that. You know, it's a lesson here in forgiving. I think it's also a lesson, of course, in giving. Because look what he says in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. You know, and so we're dealing with people and we're like, okay, uh, They've sinned me, but I guess I'm going to forgive them. And we're generous. You know, the Lord wants us to be generous with the things that we have. He wants us to give to those who are in need. And one of the things that you'll see is that you cannot outgive God. You give a little cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ to one of these children. Man, let me tell you, man, you will receive a reward. You know, and that's the way it is. And God says it this way in the book of Malachi. He says, Uh, I challenge you, give. Bring your tithes, bring your offerings in. Give, and I will open the windows of heaven, and I will bless your life so much that you won't be able to hold it in. And not necessarily finances, although sometimes it is finances. Some people, the reason they have financial troubles is because they're not giving to God what belongs to God. That's the reason sometimes. But also, not just finances, you know, but greater things. You know, I think of later, we're going to look next time in Luke chapter 7 about the centurion who was uh, very generous in giving to the work of the Lord and God healed his daughter. It's amazing. We'll see later in the book of Acts chapter 10, the centurion who was generous in his almsgiving and the Holy Spirit came into his life the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 10. I mean, your giving will open the windows of heaven and lavish down blessings on your life because the way that you deal with people is the way that God will deal with you. And he will give you grace and he will give you spiritual gold if you deal with people in a gracious and generous way. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying... You know, you guys got to give to this church, you know. I mean, 
I, I know that there is a responsibility to a certain extent, but you go out there and you find generous needs and you give. And the promise here I think the Lord is sharing with us as we're dealing with others is that I'll treat you that way as well, God says. I'll take care of you. And so think about that the next time you're in fellowship with people and you're dealing with believers and and non-believers. Remember, that's the, the Savior's sermon on the mount. First a lesson in, in fellowship, kind of, and then a lesson in leadership. Look at verse 39. It says, And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not perceive the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? (laughs) Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And I have a feeling, although I don't know for sure, I hope there's videotape in heaven, (laughs) I have a feeling that when Jesus was teaching this, that he was that had a big smile on his face, that people were busting up when he's giving them that visual. You know, he's like, man, think about it. You know, how can you go and help this guy get a speck out of his eye when you've got this big old beam, this plank in your own eye? And he's going to deal with leadership. And, you know, we're going to see a large part of leadership is the ability to see. The ability to really see. You know, if you're blind, you can't see. If you've got a plank in your eye, you can't see. And so what does he say? First, you've got you to gotta deal with that plank in your own eye, and then you can deal with the speck in your brother's eye, you know? Um, I mean, it kind of, sounds kind of funny. Imagine a blind man leading uh, blind people. <laughs> it's not good, huh? <laughs> Why would a blind man lead? And why would blind people follow a blind man? (laughs) The only thing I could think of is if they don't know they're blind. Nah, they just don't know they're blind. They think they can see, and they can't see. They really can't. They can't see the things that are spiritual. They can't, because they got a plank in their eye. That's why. They have no real relationship with the Lord. God doesn't, man, he's not, man, because they're not in relationship with him. And so the Lord here, what he wants to do is he wants to teach us some things that are so important. It's kind of funny. The other day, my son Aaron, he got a, it was, it was a hair, okay? It was a hair underneath his fingernail, man, a little teeny hair. And it freaked him out, man. He's all, I can't go, I can't go on, you know? I can't, you know, do what I have to do. Daddy, you got to take care of this. Mom, you got to take care of this. I'm going to die. You know, it's funny, man, this little piece of hair underneath his uh, fingernail, and so, you know, it was a big project at the Cornea Casa right there, man, because we couldn't see it. We couldn't even see it. And so we got a flashlight. And I seriously, I was looking around for a magnifying glass. And I'm like, man, I can't see it, you know. And so eventually, after, you know, 20 minutes of uh, Aaron freaking out and us as having fun, no, I'm just joking, no, we were able to get the hair out of his fingernail right there. And, um, and that's a lesson, you know, to me it's a lesson and how we're dealing with other people's problems, you know, you know, we've got to be able to see, you know. And if we're not right, 
then we're not going to be able to help them. And that's why we need to be right. I know you guys love people, right? You love people? Yes or no? Yeah, you do, right? Do you want to help them? Okay, then you've you, you got to get your own life right, right? That's why in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul the Apostle was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Miletus, as he's giving them kind of his final words, he said, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take heed first to yourself and then to all the flock. You can't help the flock unless you first take heed to yourself. Sometimes husbands are tripping out. They're like, man, why isn't my family, you know, why don't they catch the vision, man? Why isn't my family following me? You know, snap out of it. You know, you might try to slap them out of it. You can't do that, man. Why? Because you haven't dealt with your own heart. Take heed first to yourself and then to all the flock. Take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see how it works, you guys? We want to help people, man, but we ourselves need to make sure that we're in that right relationship with the Lord. I'm not saying perfect, but proper to where God's really speaking to you and he's showing you things that you need to see and you're really praying over the whole situation. It's very important for us. You know, when Jesus was telling his disciples to take heed, something he did numerous times in the Gospels, there were two things that they needed to take heed to. Number one, heresy. He said, beware, take heed, the leaven of the Sadducees. Heresy. Number two, hypocrisy. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so for us, man, how can I protect you know, you from heresy, if I don't protect myself from heresy, how can I protect you from hypocrisy if I'm not protecting myself from hypocrisy? And that's what the Lord is saying right here. You know, you, you can't be blind people leading blind people. It's a lesson for leaders. It's even a lesson for those who are being led. Right? Interesting verse, verse 40 he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And so, man, obviously, you know, following verse 39, if they're blind, you're going to be blind. And so one of the things that we have to be real careful of, not only as leaders, you know, making sure we see very clearly, but even as those who are being led. It's very important, very important that you're led by the right person. Question. Whose disciples are you? You're disciples of Christ, huh? Are you sure about that? Are you sure there's not someone else that you elevated to that throne? Are you sure you're not a disciple of a man or a woman? See, leaders have their place in our life, but they never replace Christ. And be so careful that you're not cloned. Be so careful that you are who God made you to be in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, you maybe you do good. Maybe you become just like that person that you're idolizing. That's not what God wants, huh? Who does God want you to be like? He 
I want you to be like Jesus, man. Now we learn from our leaders, and hopefully they're teaching us the word and they're being good examples. But Paul said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See? And so right here, that's what we want. You know, we want him. Even the Bible says he's our teacher with a capital T. We are disciples of Christ. Of course, we have the spiritual structure. We need to be around people who do not want to build their own kingdom. We want to be around people who are pointing us always to the Lord. You know, I'm going to share something with you real quick. You know, sometimes people will come to me and they say, Hey, Manny, what should I do? I'm not real quick to tell them what to do. Because if I tell them what to do, you want to know what it's like. Oh, okay, do this. Boom, boom, boom. I'm not saying like, you know, obvious things. Like if you tell me, hey, Manny, can I go get drunk after service? I mean, I would tell you, no. Okay, stay right here. I'm going to lock you up, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about obvious things. I'm just talking about other things in life. If I tell you what to do, then what I do is like I give you an apple, right? And and you're always going to want apples. You're always going to come to me. Manny, give me another apple. Man, you got any Pippins? You got any, you know, Granny Smith? I'll always be giving you apples, who are you going to go to all the time? You're going to go to me. You're going to go to that person, right? And you become a follower of man. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather give you a tree. I'd rather give you a tree and say, this is how you find out the will of the Lord. This is how you seek Jesus Christ. Not me, not a man. You know, of course, I'll always do my best to give godly counsel, but I might be wrong. See, all I'm saying, you guys, is that we don't, we're not building our own kingdom. Jesus is the one that you're being discipled by ultimately. You are disciples of Christ, right? And make sure that you have that because what's going to end up happening, verse 40 teaches, is you are going to be like that individual. And it must be, it must be Jesus. Every once in a while, I'll give my opinion. I'll say, you know what, man? I'm going to tell you this. This is a friend. But it's, it's really rare because I want you guys, I want us to be followers of Christ. Well, you're saying there's no leaders then, Manny? No, there is leaders, right? There is servants. Well, how do you know a good leader? Well, look what we read next in verse 43. It says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And see, it's kind of a lesson in fellowship. We treat others a certain way, and God's going to treat us accordingly. It's kind of a lesson in leadership. Make sure you see And even as you're being led, this is what you look for. If that plant over there, that tree over there, let's just say it had a sign hanging on it and said, I'm real. I'm a real tree. Does that make it a real tree? No, because we know it's not, huh? Because otherwise it would probably die in here, man. I have a brown thumb. It wouldn't work, right? What if it said, oh, I'm a lemon tree. And let's just say there were oranges hanging on it, you know, or pomegranates or walnuts or something. I mean, it's real obvious that that it doesn't matter what it says. Huh? It doesn't matter what it says. The question is, what what kind of fruit does it bear? If it's bad fruit, it, it, it bears... If it's a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. If it's a good tree, it bears good fruit. 
I mean, here the, the distinction is between what? Uh, between uh, like thorns and, and, and stuff and maybe, I don't know, we'll just use, uh, um, what's a good fruit? Um, mangoes. I don't know how many. Are you guys like mangoes? If you don't like them, you should because they're very good for you. Okay, they're very good for you. But, you know, what do the thorns do? They hurt you, man. They make you bleed. You know, the bramble bushes. This is not what you want in life. You want to find a tree that's real. You want to find a tree that brings forth good fruit. It's their life. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, long-suffering, kindness, self-control. It's their life. It's their lips. You know, the things that come out of their, their mouth. You can usually tell uh, where a person's at. Just, just listen to them for about maybe 10, 15 minutes usually, man. And if all that comes out is negative or maybe they have vulgar mouths or, you know, profanity, never talking about the Lord or whatever it is their idol is, that's all they speak about, then you know what's in their heart. Because the treasure in Luke 6.45 is really just the things that you cherish, the things that you put there. And so those are going to be the things that come out of the heart. And the Lord is saying, that's the way you can tell where a man is at, where a woman is at. You will know them by their fruit. You see, it's a lesson in fellowship. It's a lesson in leadership. Listen to what they say. Watch their life. But then in closing today, we see it's a lesson in discipleship. Because look at verse 46. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. I like that. Dug deep. Laid the foundation where? On the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Fellowship, leadership, and then really the core of discipleship. The Lord asks really a, a cool question in verse 46. Why, why do you call me Lord Lord, you even did it twice. That's in the Greek language. That would be emphasis. I mean, these people were really saying Lord, and and they were singing Lord. In the Greek language, whenever you see things emphasized or repeated, it, it means something. Why the Lord says, Why do you do it, and you don't do the things which I say? You know, it didn't make any sense to him. And even as Jesus said later in Matthew 7, many will come to me on that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, did many wonders in your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I, I never knew you. You see, the test of discipleship is a heart of obedience, not perfect, but proper, where we have that understanding of doing the things that that he asks us to do. And why does the Lord ask us to do these things? You're like, man, why can't I just go 
get high? Why can't I go get drunk? Why can't I go party with my friends? You know, why can't I go and whatever it is, man? You fill in the blank. Why? Because those things will destroy your life. They will destroy your life on earth and you'll have death after you die. It's called hell. God does not want you to go to hell. He sent his son to die for you on a cross, right? And so he gives really a really an amazing illustration between two two types of individuals, you know? And he shares right here a couple of things I think that we can glean from. He says, listen, here's a good example. Verse 47 again. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Again, he's like a man. He's building a house. And notice he dug deep. Have you ever had a job where you had to dig? Just out of curiosity. Not with a tractor. With a shovel. Okay. Anybody here ever had that type of job? Okay. For most of us here... I don't know about you guys, but that wasn't too fun, huh? I remember there was a while when I used to work at the market. You know, it was it was a, a pretty easy job. And then I got another job um, working in construction, and I started digging. And I didn't really like that job too much. I said, I'm back to the market, yeah. Because <laughs> digging is not easy, you know, but um, it's worth it in the spiritual realm. You know, I'm talking about a life that's real, you guys. I'm talking about a life that would take the time to search your heart and say, Lord, you know what, beyond the religious things, you know, and I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm in fellowship, God, and, you know, I I hope those are real, but, Lord, just deeper, deeper in. God, what do you want from me? God, where am I at? Show me things in my life that, that grieve you, Lord. I mean, just digging deep. You see, some people even say that what he's saying right here is an individual who builds a cellar underneath their home. I mean, it could be that deep. But here's a guy, he hears Jesus' sayings and he does them. He likens him to a man who built his house and he dug deep. He laid the foundation on the rock. And it says, And when the flood arose, the stream that beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. See, when you have a heart like this, you guys, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about wanting to be real. See, when you go out the doors right here and you get into your cars, some of you here, you start fighting already. Huh? Or you're like, hey, it doesn't even take us that long. We fight, you know, once we get out the door. Some of you fight in here. No, I'm just joking. I would never (laughs) say that. (laughs) You know, but it's like, man, you know, what I'm talking about is what do you really like? You know, what do you really like at home? You know, and I could ask, I could really, and, and sometimes, you know, but I could ask your wife. I could ask your husband. I could ask your children. They might not even know everything, but usually they know what's really going on. Of course, the Lord knows everything, right? What do we really like? Because the bottom line is, hearing is not enough. James chapter 1 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, right? And so remember this, that hearing is not enough. Uh, Knowing is not enough. Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if... You do them. And so hearing is not enough. 
Knowing is not enough. Because a lot of times people will say, hey, I went to the Bible study today, you know, high five. Oh, you did so good. I'm so proud of you. And don't get me wrong. I think it's cool that you come. You need to come. We need to come. But it's definitely not enough. And knowing is not enough. You're like, hey, man, I took notes today. I memorized the three points. <laughs> it's not enough, right? What is it? It's, it's doing. Not, I, you know what? Another thing my wife tells me, if I can just share with you, she says this, teaching is not enough. Some of you here teach the Bible, right? You witness to other people. You're literally teaching. And the Bible says that Ezra set his heart to do the word of God and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. It's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to teach it. It's not. You have to do it. What has the Lord called us to do? Take up our cross and die. Take up our cross and die. And what that means is when your will uh, is kind of different than God's will, whose will wins? God's will wins, right? You know, a lot of times people think that submission is all getting what you want, but it's not. When you find yourself in those situations where God's asking you to do something different than what you normally would do, you disobey him. And that's the way it is. He says, listen, if you live that life, don't you like what he says right there in verse 48? And could not shake it. I love that. That when the storms come, man, you won't even be shaken. I like that. It doesn't move you like Paul the Apostle said. Because you are a strong Christian. It doesn't shake you. See? But then you get the flip side to this in verse 49. But he who heard and did nothing... Now, again, notice the passivity there. He didn't even go get high and drunk, you know. <laughs> he didn't even go do, you know, all those things, man, that we would consider to be awful, which, of course, we need to avoid. But he just did nothing. He did nothing. He says right here, but the one who heard and did nothing, he just went home, he watched the game, he made a cheese sandwich. <laughs> And just his life just goes on, stays the same. It says right there, who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. The Lord says right here, and the ruin of that house was great. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, and great was its fall. And so in looking at the two right here, we see some common denominators. Both of these guys heard Both of these guys were building a house, which I would say, you know, might have spiritual um, application in just having a family or maybe just personally your life, right? They're, They're both hearing. They're both building. And then the third common denominator is what? The the flood comes to both of their lives. And the flood's coming, you guys. It comes in different ways. But the flood's coming. Those are the common denominators between the two. But what was the differences? Well, two main things. Number one, obedience and disobedience. Obedience and disobedience. Number two, standing and falling. Standing and falling. And in the end, when the dust clears, man, and one day we're there, and we're in our death's bed, so to speak, question, will you stand or will you fall? I see a lot of people, and again, I know some of you here, man, you're doing really good, and I just thank God for his grace in your life. 
But the bottom line is a lot of the church is really not where she should be. And I see it. I see it. I might not tell you. Maybe I will. I don't know. But I see it. And we need to be so careful, you guys, that we don't you know, lower the standards of what really being a Christian is all about. Man. He's giving you gifts, and you need to give those gifts back to God. You need to make sacrifices. You need to be surrendered. We live in America, and here's the bottom line. America says this is the right temperature, right? The right temperature. What is it, like 72? What would you say, 72? Maybe a little cooler. And if it's too hot, what do you do? Put the air conditioner on. If it's too cold, what do you do? You put the heater on, right? If your pillow's too hard, what do you do? Buy another pillow? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you name it, man. We just we we are just so comfortable. This is where everything is supposed to be. Everything is supposed to be right here, Manny, right here. It's all supposed to be comfortable, right? And that has spilled over into your Christianity. Where Christianity, the bottom line is, and following the Lord and really doing the things that he's called you to do, it's a blessing, but it's not a blessing like you think it's a blessing. You think it's a blessing because you're Americans. And that's the type of blessing that you're looking for. That's the type of blessing that we're looking for. And a lot of times that's not a blessing. All I'm saying is this, you guys. You have to check your own heart. Are you really, are we really sold out and surrendered and completely committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, it's kind of cool. The other day they had the whosoever's uh, at the uh, Carrie Chapel Golden Springs. And I was so blown away. I was so blown away by this. I don't, uh, I'm sorry. Anyways, um, my daughter, she did something that tripped me out, man. She went to our neighbor's houses. Imagine that. She went to our neighbors' houses and she invited them to the event. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Even I didn't do that, you know. It's just kind of like catching the vision, you know, just kind of going out of her comfort zone because those of you who know Ariel, man, she's pretty shy like me. I'm like, whoa, you crossed the street, you know. (laughs) But she did, you know, and it was so cool. If I could just share with you as a proud dad for a moment, man, well, one of the neighbors just looked at her, and I, I don't know if she went to the event, but she just told her, she said, you're beautiful. And I was like, that's the way it is, huh, Lord? When we cross the street, when we get out of our comfort zones, and we get, you know, righteously radical, I think it's beautiful. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if I'm talking to all of you here, because I do know some of you here, and you do love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But I wonder, Lord, why don't we all love you like that? And God, help us. Because the storm's coming, man. And God wants to warn us, you know, about that. We need to make decisions now so that we can stand then. As a matter of fact, I have a photo right here, and I've showed it to you guys before on a Thursday night. See that house right there? It's amazing, huh? It's amazing. What had happened was Hurricane Ike had come in, and it just wiped out miles and miles of homes. 
you know, and here's this one house that stood. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. How did that happen? Well, I have the AOL story if you want to read it later, man. But basically what happened was the builders of this house right here, you know how they built this house? They built this ahead of time with this thought in their mind. We must build a house that can survive a hurricane level five. That's the way they built the house. See? And so when the hurricane five came, it stood. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that makes sense. man. <laughs> what they did was they invested in it. They spend extra money. While they were building the house, they oversaw every element of it to make sure that it was done just as they had requested. And so when the hurricane came, they stood. Now, a couple of things about this picture right here. I think that's a picture of <laughs> America. Most homes, they're not going to stand, huh? If you stand, you're an exception nowadays, huh? But what we need to do is to learn from that. And just to know this, you guys, and I, I'm not a prophet or anything. I'm not. But all I can say is this, is Hurricane 5 is coming. <laughs> Hurricane 5. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be, man. And, you know, the different trials that we go through in life, even the day that we stand before Jesus Christ and he looks at you with his eyes of omniscience and he scrutinizes you to the very core of your heart, that day is going to come. Question, will you stand? My prayer is that you would, that we would learn in dealing with fellowship and treating people the way we want God to treat us and the forgiving and the giving and that we would learn about leadership and being leaders who can see and take care of the plank out of our own eye and, and making sure that the fruit is right and the root is right. You know, leading and being led by the proper person, Jesus, and then the discipleship element of it. If we call him Lord, if you profess to be a Christian, then it's very simple. You know, you've you got to live the life. Yeah, but man, you don't know my wife. Yeah, man, you don't know my husband. Yeah, man, you don't know my kids. You don't know my situation. You know what? I don't have to. I don't have to. I know my Lord. I know who the Lord is, you guys. And he can strengthen you. He can strengthen you to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you. Thanking you so much, Lord, for um, the warning even, Lord, that the hurricanes come.